This podcast is sponsored by the American Society for Information Science and Technology. Since 1937, ACIST has been the Society for Information Professionals, leading the search for new and better theories, techniques, and technologies to improve access to information. By the IA Summit. This year, your peers and industry experts spoke about how topics such as social networking, gaming, patterns, tagging, taxonomies, and a wide range of IA tools and techniques help users experience information. And by Boxes and Arrows. Since 2001, Boxes and Arrows has been a peer-written journal promoting contributors who want to provoke thinking, push limits, and teach a few things along the way. For more events happening all over the world, be sure and check out events.boxesandarrows.com. In this presentation entitled The Impact of Social Ethics on IA and Interactive Design, Experiences from the Norwegian Woods, Carl Johan Sath and Ingrid Toft illustrate three cases showing that interactive design in one way or another is always based on interpretation of ethical rules, expressed or latent. IA and design are bound by cultural imperatives, and this, Carl and Ingrid argue, is a fact that we cannot ignore. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. Okay, um, now we're from Oslo, Norway, and we're going, as he said, to talk about ethics. Um, I'll just go ahead and, and, and start. Now, uh, we work at Logica, and this is our team. We're eight people that are ve we're very passionate about what we do, and we, we sort of like always hope that we make stuff that really makes a difference uh, and that create viable uh, uh, concepts and designs. Um, here's a slide about Carl Johan. He might introduce yeah. himself. Um, I'm an information architect. I have been working as an information architect for about 12 years. Um, I have three kids. I do a lot of concept development in IA, and I really love fishing. That's me. <laughs> so somebody told us that we felt so sorry for you guys because you were freezing and he was fishing, and you know. <laughs> so we, we were trying to be a bit, you know, I don't know. But well, this is me, and I've got two kids. We talk a lot about our kids. We love them a lot. Uh, these are my kids. It's a particularly happy moment at some summer vacation or something. I've been uh, spending the last 12 years doing interactive design concept development. And, and b both of us actually came out of the Icon Media Lab, if some, some of you are familiar with that. We've met some colleagues around here, uh, which is very nice. It's a long time since we've seen them. Okay, so why do we want to talk about ethics? Well, I don't know about America. I guess it's it's the same here, but ethics um, uh, questions have been much discussed lately in Norway, uh, particularly with regards to privacy issues in social networking services. That might be familiar to, to you. Facebook had some, some kind of blunders. They had this beacon misstep that, that got a lot of press in, in, in Norway, and so there was a lot of attention. And also, in the light of persuasive technology and design, ethics has come uh, very important to us and a very hot topic. Uh, thirdly, Norway is a very regulated society, and we sort of like feel that we have something to share with you from, from our experience in several projects. It's, uh, it's maybe a, a new perspective on things, I don't know. And uh, lastly, but not uh, leastly, it's um, ethics is about much more than privacy issues. Okay. So our starting point is, how does ethics influence IA and interactive design? 
We would like to uh, discuss this through three different cases that we're working on currently or have been working on recently. So, and in the light of these cases, we would like to take a look at the implication for practitioners and discuss a little bit about how we can deal with ethics in our work, which is pretty important, I think. Okay. So, now here's the uh, definitions of ethics that we have adapted. Um, it could either be a set of principles of right conduct or a theory or a system of moral values. Okay, now we have sort of like thought of this as, as uh, um, different ethical spheres or, or spheres of morality. And the first one is the personal sphere. Now, uh, the personal sphere, you can think of eth an ethical system used by an individual, sort of like a moral code applicable to individuals. One example in Norway, from Norway, could, for instance, be objectors to compulsory military service like we have in Norway. So it's such a sort of like um, ethical issues arising in your personal sphere, okay? Now, the social sphere, which is the focus uh, uh, of, of today's presentation. Um, well, we've been thinking about social ethics, and, and a definition of that could be a system of normative rules and values accepted by community, society, or group, and applied by its member to regulate their interactions. Okay, so it can be synonymous with social and political philosophy in as much as it is the foundation of a good society or state. Now, this is what we will uh, focus on today because we believe it's, it, it is the ethical sphere that affects us the most as designers and IAs. Okay, now, uh, thirdly, there's this global sphere. Now, this is sort of like dealing with eth ethical issues arising in the global context, you can see the poor polar bear here. It might not have any eyes <laughs> anymore. So, so grounds in support of uh, universal human rights, a call to work for justice and peace, and concern for conservation of the earth. Okay. So, in order <laughs> to give you a better understanding of the cases that we want to present, I think we, we need to talk a little bit about Norwegian society and mentality, and I'll, I'll let Carl uh, Johan do that. Yeah, so this is Norway, as some of you may know it. But what I will focus on is that uh, Norway is a constitutional monarchy uh, with a parliamentary system of government. And Norway is in many ways a fairly regulated country. Uh, when it comes to areas such as marketing, alcohol, smoking, taxes, equality of genders, and a lot of other areas. Furthermore, no Norway is an extremely rich country. Norwegians enjoy the second highest GDP in the world. Uh, the Norwegian economy per capita in the world. The Norwegian economy is an example of a mixed economy featuring a combination of free market activity and large governmental ownership. The government controls key areas such as oil and ga gas production, energy production, aluminium production, the largest bank, the largest telecommunication provider. And the government actually controls as much as 31.6 
6% of the publicly listed companies in Norway. And that's quite a lot. The cost of living in Norway is high, and it's about 30% higher than in the US and 25% higher than in the United Kingdom. And the population of Norway is, for the time being, around 4.7 million. Uh, and in the recent years, immigration has accounted for more than half of the population growth. Okay, case number one. We'll just start taking you through the cases. Uh, the first case is Wien Monopola. Now, what is Wien Monopola? Well, it, you probably hear it's a monopoly. Uh, it has the exclusive right to sell wine, spirits, and strong beer in Norway, and it's wholly owned by the Norwegian government. Uh, it has around 240 shops, and in addition to these, they opened a web shop in 2002. So uh, it's neutral in the sense that no brands, producers, countries, suppliers are favored, or, and the product range is determined by price, quality, and customer demand. So it's a regulated thing. So now they're obliged to have a good regional spread uh, and uh, ensure the best possible ac accessibility in all parts of the country. But they're also obliged to limit the social and personal damage which alcohol can cause by restricting consumption of alcohol, which is, you know, <laughs> what to do. Uh, okay, so they offer around 9,000 different uh, products. It's quite a lot. So this is um, the case background. The web shop was redesigned in 2005, 2006, and we were lucky enough to, to be part of that. Um, uh, it was to be an e-commerce uh, site, not necessarily for increased sale, but for alignment of availability, so that this guy living somewhere far away in Norway, Norway is big, you know, people live in places where you wouldn't think they would live, so that this guy actually could log on to his website, which I'm sure he does every day, and buy some alcohol, oh well. So now, <laughs> now this was uh, made possible through specific regulations. And, and they were also based on uh, availability requirements, the availability requi requirements of Vinmonopola. Now, the right to sell alcohol is, is followed by a large set of marketing laws and regulation, which means you can't sell or market using pictures, uh, recommendations, you can't say bestsellers, top, no top 10, you can't feature any products, you can't connect products or food of any kind in, in marketing of alcohol. In fact, you cannot market alcohol. Okay? <laughs> now, now this, this is challenging for a designer. Okay? <laughs> so, let's look, at the, let, let's look at the solution. Okay, what, some features of it. Now, we, we used faceted search and navigation, and that enables, actually enables me in Monopoly to adopt a, a neutral role in presenting the products because, you know, you have the facets. And it, it's not a bad way at all for wine to be presented, is it? However, the facets are based on extensive customer knowledge. Okay. Um, the look and feel is, is very informative and functional rather than commercial. Now, this is actually the front page of Vien Monopola. And this, this real estate here, it tells you that you must remember to bring your ID when you come and buy alcohol. <laughs> so this is an e-commerce site telling you to bring your ID, 
okay. Um, yeah, that's another one showing the very informal and not very commercial look of it. Okay. There are no products or brand pictures at all. And the e-commerce part is separated from the ed editorial content. There are no recommendations of any single products or brands at all. And there's extensive information about the damages of alcohol. Okay? Uh, and there are educational sections devoted to teaching Norwegians about wines and alcohol and very careful suggestions at how to combine it with food, but that's on a very general level. Okay, so why did the, this solution turn out uh, as it did? Well, obviously because of legislation, which is very restrictive, uh, but also because of the customer's interpretation of the Norwegian legislation. Okay, one example is that we wanted to activate links between editorial content and the shop on a high level. They thought that was way too controversial, so that never happened. Um, uh, and because we had to balance the tightrope between legislation, social ethics, and the technical and conceptual possibilities that are present in an e-commerce solution. One thing, though, what happened? We must have managed that somehow because this solution increased their sales by 30%. And that was problematic. <laughs> okay? <laughs> oh, well. The potential for growth is probably even larger. You, know, you guys know that. You don't live in Norway, right? <laughs> so if we w compare Vinmonopolo with uh, Wine.com, you know Wine.com? They use faceted navigation and search. And the facets, I, I would guess, they're probably based on, on, on extensive customer knowledge. Um, however, the look and feel is quite commercial. There are definitely product and brand pictures. Uh, it's integrated, the e-commerce part is integrated with the editorial content, uh, so on. There are recommendations and marketing of single products and brands. However, to make such a solution would simply not be possible within the social ethic context of Norway. So, to sum it up, this sort of, like this case, is, 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 is a bit peculiar case. It's the first case. They'll, they'll progress. <laughs> It, it illustrates what it's like to design a solution within a very restricted domain uh, with very clearly defined and explicit uh, social ethics. Okay, let's go to case number two. I'll let Carl Johan take you through that one. Yeah, uh, the second case is Egmont. And Egmont is one of Scan Scandinavia's leading media groups. Uh, and they include weeklies, they include magazines, comics, uh, books, films, TV shows, uh, interactive games, music, and much more. Uh, and Egmont publishes media in more than 30 countries. It has 4,400 employees and a revenue of around 1.5 billion euros in 2007. Um, so in Norway, this brand is strong in the kids and teens segment and offers product targeted primarily towards kids and teens. That, for example, uh, includes Disney products, games, cartoons, 
children's books, etc. And selling products to kids and teens in Norway is actually partly regulated. Marketing towards children is prohibited uh, in several, several different marketing channels, such as television and radio, but there are no explicit rules when it comes to interactive media. Uh, however, uh, as marketing towards children is uh, controversial, it is being watched carefully by the media, by the public, and it's been monitored by several different uh, organizations, such as the Ombudsman for Children, the Ombudsman for Consumers, uh, the Equality and Anti-Discrimination Ombudsman, and the Norwegian Directorate for Children, Youth, and Family Affairs. So it's, it's, it's kind of uh, fairly regulated. The case background for Egmont was that Egmont wanted an e-commerce site uh, to increase cross-selling of products targeted at kids and teens. That's kind of problematic. Um, and some examples of products in this site would be cartoons, children's books, games, toys, and stationery. They wanted to build a strong new brand within this market segment in Norway. If we look at the solution we actually made, it has some distinct features. There's no direct interaction between interactive brand sites for children and the shop. The e-commerce site does not offer games, competitions, content targeted against children at all. And the look and feel and brand identity is based on photographic imagery and it's built around a fictional family. The site does not distinguish between boys and girls products, although the products clearly do. And why did this solution turn out as it did? Well, Egmont wanted to build a positive and responsible brand and made a decision not to target children directly. The decision to use photographic imagery was made in order to build a family-oriented brand, primarily targeting parents and grandparents. And Egmont did not want to tell the parents which of Egmont's products they should choose for the girls and which for boys because this would be against the Norwegian idea of equality be, uh, between genders and might be, uh, be received as negative. So, an alternative solution for this site might be a solution where, where you had direct interaction between brand sites for children and the shop. You could have games, competitions, content targeted towards the children as part of the site. And the brand identity itself could be targeted against children. Boys and girls products could be presented separately. But what could have happened if we did it was that potential customers would have avoided the site as the social ethics of Norway say that you should not market against children. And that would have led to probably negative press, negative attention for the new site. It would have led to a weakened brand and less sales instead of more sales. So to sum up, Egmont 
This case illustrates how an awareness of social ethics can be used as a competitive advantage within a market segment and that a lack of such awareness might lead to failure. Okay. So the next case. So let's go to case number three. Can you see anything? It's smog. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> the case number three uh, is about the Norwegian Pollution Control Authority. That's a mouthful. SFT, if you want. I, I think I'll call it SFT. It's easier. Okay. It's a directorate under the Ministry of the Environment. Some of their responsibilities are to monitor and provide information about environmental development, exercise authority through regulations and control measures, and assess the degree to which the different sectors of society have achieved the environmental goals. Okay. Now, I should say a little bit about what we call Norwegian environmentality. I don't know whether that's an English word, but I guess you know what I mean. There is a relatively high degree of environmental awareness in Norway. This chart sort of shows that it, it, it was the measurement made in 2007. What are your biggest concerns? The environment. Of course, we have enough money, so you know, <laughs> we need something to be concerned about. Okay. Um, uh, so a large majority of the Norwegian people believes that the global climate changes mainly are due to human activities. And uh, it has uh, the, the environmental issues, the, the climate changes, has been the most discussed uh, issues uh, since the mid-1990s. Uh, and the proportion of environmental taxes has historically been well above the average. It's 6.9%. You guys are catching up pretty quickly, but we've had this for a long, long time. In addition to that, well, yeah, in addition to that, Norwegian taxes are, in general, very high. We pay a lot of taxes. Uh, the government. Okay, now case background. The Norwegian government came to us because they wanted an e-commerce solution uh, that enabled Norwegians to buy their own private CO2 quotas. Okay, so it should use, give the users possibility to calculate their own emissions of CO2. <laughs> Is that Eric? <laughs> yeah, okay, I guess. So the, uh, and, the, and the quotas to be offered were to be official Kyoto quotas based on the Kyoto Agreement, uh, which I'm sure you are aware of. And, and it was supposed to be an important factor in increasing the awareness of emissions of uh, CO2 gases. I fly to Miami, I purchase the equivalent amount of CO2 quotas. Okay. So let's look at some of the features. Look and feel again. It's, it's very neutral, focusing on the functional aspects. Uh, there are no e-commerce metaphors, such as shopping carts, things like that, even though it's an e-commerce solution, nothing. Mm. Uh, now we're using, for those of you who are Norwegian, this is not the right guy. I will not say more anymore, okay? So we are using photographs of uh, well-known politicians with credibility within environmental issues. Now this is, in, by doing so, we want to communicate that this is the official CO2 solution offering official CO2 quotas. Hmm? It's not the right guy. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, it also communicates very clearly that this is voluntary and depends on your personal choice whether to contribute further to CO2 reductions or not. OK, 
Okay? And it also communicates that this is not a license to pollute. It is a contribution to CO2 reductions. And uh, we've been very careful to avoid moralizing, avoid using terms as clean conscience or your obligation. Uh, and a certificate is used as a proof of the purchase and also in order to drive traffic to the site by encouraging others to buy CO2 quotas. Okay. So, why did the solution turn out as it did? Again, why did it turn out as it did? Well, there are other actors in the market that capitalizes on sales of CO2 quotas. And it was extremely important to distinguish this solution from these and also to communicate that this is the official sales channel for official Kyoto quotas. That's one. Secondly, the public opinion, the historically high taxation in Norway could potentially have made this solution very controversial and subject to negative attention and annoyance, which is why the positive, functional, non-moralizing approach was so important. It's just why they're making me pay more now. Okay, so uh, the avoidance of e-commerce metaphors and visual cues is based on a wish for increased credibility. The government shouldn't sell anything, and not these things. They shouldn't sell anything. And the traffic increasing functions are based upon social ethics and traditions with regards to contribution to society. Okay, so we could have done it differently, like, um, uh, what are they called again? I forgot the name now. You can tell, it's called carbon neutral, carbon neutral. Focusing on personal responsibility, your obligation to contribute, uh, have traditional e-commerce features, uh, uh, shopping carts, commercial and selling, and we could have marketed the solution by having online uh, marketing or offline marketing by having ads. Now, this if we were to have done that, I think we would have got the negative reception in the Norwegian public, and the government would probably have ended up with reduced credibility on environmental issues. And this, again, could sort of like have alienated Norwegians a little bit from the awareness thing, from the, the responsibility thing, because you get sort of like fed up. What, what are they doing? Why are they selling this to me? I pay my taxes, and I pay a lot of them. And the solution might have failed. So, to sum it up, this case illustrates how an understanding of social ethics can be used to, to impact on society through the design. So we have the uh, three cases again. Vinmonopola, restricted domain with defined regulations and laws. We have Egmont, ethical awareness as a competitive advantage. And then we have the SFT case, understanding ethics and making an impact on society. Hmm? So what are the implications of this? Now, the cases illustrate that ethics considerations is inevitable for us as IAs and designers. And the design of a solution is in one way or another always based on interpretation of ethical rules, either expressed, like being monopolar, or, or latent. Right? And IA in design is, is bound by cultural and thereby ethical imperatives. And, and this is a fact that we cannot ignore. Further implications. Uh, and enhanced awareness of these ethical imperatives facilitates powerful design by leaving less to chance. I was in the panel earlier and somebody asked, 
uh, about social, about, I have it here, social web architecture. And somebody asked, when do we know uh, uh, when to stop? How do we know when to stop gathering? Uh, uh, it was, we were talking about uh, privacy issues. And, 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 and one of the attendees of the panel said, well, you should talk to your lawyer. <laughs> okay. Um, but what we're saying is that it facilitates powerful design because you're leaving less to chance. Okay. So, um, and you can achieve competitive advantage through understanding and designing for the cultural, ethical individual. And increased awareness of ethical imperatives, of course, also gives us the power to manipulate. And therefore, great responsibility. So, oh, you skipped one. <laughs> Go back. Okay, so we really want to encourage you to increase your ethical awareness uh, in your work as I uh, or designer. And you should try to identify ethical aspects in each project and, and solution. So, if there exists a, a moral sphere, I think there, there, there does, and a set of principles, of, of conduct within, within a specific domain, like a social ethics, social group, we actually should be able to identify this. Okay? Is it, is it possible to develop a, a methodology of ethics? Oh, we don't know. But, but here's a shot of uh, our, our, first, our first thoughts about it. Okay, I don't know about your projects, but mine usually has some user requirements and some business requirements. But maybe we could identify some ethical aspects. Um, we would need to look into techniques and methods to identify this. Marketing agencies have been doing this for, for years. Maybe we could learn something from them. Um, uh, now, these, these uh, aspects could arise in the intersection between user requirements and business requirements. Or they might arise in a social ethical context, like, like you've seen here. Uh, so by looking at these ethical aspects through these ethical spheres, individual, social, and global, we could perhaps end up with some ethical imperatives which could lead to ethical requirements that might feed back into the project. One might argue, well, just, just a sec, one might argue that everything, the user requirements, the business requirements, of course they exist in an ethical context, but we still feel that there is something that we never managed to get a hold of. And by looking at it specifically, uh, we can be better designers. Okay, so identify ethical aspects, analyze these through the different ethical spheres, identify ethical imperatives, and deduct ethical requirements from these. It's not necessarily that easy, but you know, it's, it's a start. Okay. Now, um, next slide. Okay, I think this is, yeah, this is our last slide, actually. Um, one, one final uh, realization or, or, or thing that we thought about when we've been writing this, or making this presentation, is that the discussion of ethics is, is more than a discussion of good and bad user experience. We've seen that a lot in, in the ethics debate. Is it, is it a good user? Is it, you know, 
as an more or less equivalent. User experience is a term used to describe the overall experience and satisfaction a user has when using a product or system. And it's, it's sort of like in, maybe in the individual personal sphere of ethics and, and in its nature, maybe slightly hedonistic, okay? <laughs> Whereas ethics can be applied to different spheres and it addresses consequences just as much, much as experience. That's it. Questions? <laughs> okay. Is there... Actually, we didn't use interview techniques in any of, of, of these. Uh, so it's more or less kind of uh, what we have been doing up until now is sort of like what, what I was saying. You're trying to sort of like extract. You, you have your user requirements. You have your business requirements. And you're sort of trying to extract out what does this mean. Uh, and, and so we're, we're sort of like only recently starting to, to work towards a sort of like how can we have a methodology for doing this so that we ensure that in every project. So we haven't come that far uh, with the interviews, as you're saying, uh, or anything. And, and I would guess that some of that could, could maybe be problematic because you ask, well, what do you think about this? And people might respond, uh, you know, not, not all, um, I'm struggling, I can't find my word. They, they, might, they might not be, Honest with you all the time. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to follow your English, I'm sorry. Did you? <laughs> okay. Okay, do, can you rephrase it? It was a, a, a bit... No. No. Mm. 
Well, well, the thing is that I, 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 don't, I guess we, we're, not, we're not saying that you shouldn't do anything that's bad, because that's, that's not really uh, the thing here. But the thing is that once you know the, the ethical requirements, the social ethical sphere, you can choose. But then you know, not like Facebook that, so, that, that implements new functionality and suddenly they're all over the media and, and they get negative press and, and the brand is, is sort of like stained from that, uh, you know? But then you can, you can actually choose to push the boundaries to, to, to call your lawyer and say, how can we you know, make the most out of this because I have to. Or you can build, like, like the Egmont case where the client actually wanted to build upon the values and say, well, we're going to make a new strong brand and we're going to build upon the values. We're not going to, you know? So, so it's, it's, and, and it's a courageous decision of them. It's, it's, uh, as we're in Norway, that might work. Yeah, in America, that might not work. Or England, I don't <laughs> Yeah, okay. Well, there were uh, on, on actually the, the, the CO2 two quarter, the client really wanted a shop. They, they wanted a, a shopping basket where you actually put your, put your quotas in and then you go into this, this thing. And, and, and luckily for us, we, we sort of like managed to, to convince them that that is not a very good idea. Uh, but, but in all of these cases, there has been, has been of course, uh, um, moments where you had to, to go that extra round. Like, should, could we please say that this food is good with Chianti? No. <laughs> okay, so we, we won some and we lost most of them on that case. But on the other cases where the regulations are, are, are not as, as, as strict or, or not as formalized, we won some of them because we, we were aware of them. And we said, but look, how about? Okay, but yeah, that's, that's one of the, I think we'll sort of like uh, look at our model a bit and, and start thinking about the implications of, of this. How can we develop that further? How can we come up with some kind of toolkit of, of bringing that uh, the, into the processes that we have? Good. Very interested in that. Good. <laughs> I'll definitely look at that. Yeah. Excellent. We need to talk. <laughs> okay.
Oh, well. No, not, 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 not necessarily, but, but as I was saying is that I think that by, by enhancing your awareness as a designer, you can, you can start by the, the little things, right? You can, you can say, well, let's try, and, and then you can present it to the client, and you can say, well, what if we, you know? Uh, the problem is, as, as, as you were saying, People are hedonistic and companies want to make money. And in America, this becomes a, a problem. I, have, I constantly have people, Americans, coming up and say, we're so unethical. You're not. <laughs> and, and, and from our point of view, I think that we have a lot to learn from you uh, about adding value. Uh, uh, because we're, we're, too, you know, we're too regulated. So, so there's some exchange there. But I think that... The most important thing is that increase your awareness of the ethical aspects, imperatives, and requirements, and try to find requirements so that you know when you, you, you throw them away or that you can take some of them and you can say, well, look, could we do this? Well, well, I think that, as you were saying, that the, the products that we have worked with, uh, maybe except from the Wien Monopoly case, is, is sort of their businesses. 
and, and they have a business idea. So, so it's sort of like from the business perspective, we have discussed these cases. Now, now Vinmonopola actually does uh, what, what you're saying. They're, they're actually telling people about the damages of alcohol. So once you go into a shop, you get the leaflets, you, get the, you have a person there, and you have, you have all these things around. But, but I guess, yeah, well, that's, if you look at the personal sphere of ethics, if you look at the project through the personal sphere of ethics, and, and, and given the project, I guess you could come up with a lot of techniques and visualizations and, and designs that, that could, could, could help out there uh, if you had to do something that, that wasn't popular with the person, I guess. I don't know. Okay? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> there it went. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 